All right. Ready? Yeah. Yeah, I'm ready. All right. Welcome to Dito Cannons. I'm Byron, and with me as always is Justin. Party on, Justin. Party on, Byron. And this is episode 22. Uh, before we get into it, uh, we'll do a little housekeeping. So once again, if, uh, if you're watching this on Facebook, probably after the fact this time, just make sure you like, share, and comment. And then on the podcast channels, please subscribe, rate, and comment. I've been checking the dashboard, and uh, I definitely got people downloading every day, but we don't have a lot of subscriptions. So if uh, maybe we could get those numbers up, broaden our reach. And so tonight, Justin's going to be leading us off. So why don't you go ahead and uh, introduce our topic, Justin? Sure. Uh, the topic tonight... Um, you know, I've toyed with different titles, but uh, basically it's a quote from Pontius Pilate from John chapter 18. Truth? What's truth? Or in the Latin, veritas, que veritas. Hmm. I feel like he probably said it, you know, with, in some saucy Latin, <laughs> maybe, maybe kind of sarcastically. Yeah, like the smugness of a world leader. Right. Like, I, I don't know. Imagine somebody who was, you know, in, in the movie Gladiator and was Roman can, and in I, the similar position as Pontius Pilate. <laughs> I could picture that. I can definitely picture that. Yeah. Or, you know, in The Chosen season one, the, the guy who's like the, the Roman, I don't know, head honcho there in Capernaum. Yeah, they, they do. The, a good the, the, the guy who Matthew works for. Yeah, they do a good job of making all those guys just real like condescending <laughs> yeah pompous <clears throat> for sure yeah um but the subtitle is uh questioning the intent of questions questioning the intent of questions yeah, yeah. so so let me give some, some a little bit of backstory to this so i'm i'm up here at bible camp uh i'll, I'll just throw out a, a plug there woodland bible camp up in indiana and it's it's a really great place I've been coming here my whole life. Uh, looks like we've got a truck coming down the driveway. So if you hear some gravelly noises, it's not a bad connection. It's just the fact that I am, I am literally sitting in the grass just off of a gravel driveway. Okay. So you might hear it coming and then you might see a cloud of smoke. If I'm enveloped in it and start coughing, <laughs> you'll, you'll know what it is. <clears throat> so I've been coming here my, my whole life and I've been directing the high school age week for, oh man, I, I guess it's been since about 2008 or 2009. So like 13 years, 12, 13 years, something like that. I don't remember the exact year. That's, that's how long ago it's been. And there they went. Did you get any of that? I did not. I saw you wave or something. Oh, I waved. They did not wave back which is the first way you can know that you're no longer in the South. <laughs> I am very much North of the Mason Dixon line, North of the Ohio river. Not even, and, the, you know, not even like the steering wheel wave where, you know, it's just like, <laughs> you know, like we're out in the country. And so I, I was kind of hoping for that. So maybe it's city boys and they just don't know any better. Hmm. Rude. So the theme for this week is, is, is that <clears throat> truth. What is truth? And so we're, we're, we're kind of doing two things 
at the same time with the lessons, we're, we're looking into what the Bible says about truth. And we're, we're looking at questions that are asked in the Bible. Okay. And so, so we're, we're going to, I want to tonight try to try to hit some of that. And it's probably also going to come up in the, in the sermon uh, that, that I give this Sunday, because I I usually try to try to give a bit of a report on things going, going on at, going on at camp. So I already mentioned um, John 18. So let's, let's turn there. Okay. I'm there. Okay. Yeah. You, you beat me. Also, I'm in a Chevy Suburban right now, but I'll be honest, the front seat is a bit crowded with me holding the phone with, with my left hand. And I've got my notes over on the console to my right. And I've got my Bible in my lap, but kind of like wedged between, uh, wedged between the steering wheel and my right leg, just to try to give a visual for those of you who are just listening to the audio here. Oh, I got somebody else coming up. I bet this person is going to stop. Oh, he didn't. He just went really slow. The length so I'm to still go turning to, to, to make this happen. Does that mean, does that mean you need me to read? Is that what you're getting at? You know what? H- how about you do that? Uh, John chapter 18. Uh, so I did get there. John chapter 18. Um, verses 28 through 40. Okay. All right. So Jesus before Pilate. Then the Jewish leaders took Jesus from Caiaphas to the place of the Roman governor. By now it was early morning, and to avoid ceremonial uncleanness, they did not enter the palace because they wanted to be able to eat the Passover. So Pilate came out to them and asked, What charges are you bringing against this man? If he were not a criminal, they replied, we would not have handed him over to you. Pilate said, Take him yourselves and judge him by your own law. But we have no right to execute anyone, they objected objected this took place to fulfill what jesus had said about the kind of death he was going to die Pilate then went back inside the palace summoned jesus and asked him are you the king of the jews is that your own idea jesus asked or did the others talk to you about me am i a jew replied Pilate. your own people and chief priests handed you over to me what what is it you have done jesus said my kingdom is not of this world If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jewish leaders. But now my kingdom is from another place. You are a king then, said Pilate. Jesus answered, you say that I am a king. In fact, the reason I was born and came into the world is to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. What is truth, retorted Pilate. With this, he went out again to the Jews gathered there and said, I find no basis for a charge against him, but it is your custom for me to release to you one prisoner at the time of Passover. Do you want me to release the king of the Jews? They shouted, no, not him. Give us Barabbas. Now Barabbas had taken part in an uprising. So there it is. Truth. What is truth? So what we're, what I'm trying to show the kids this week in the scriptures and, and about life is that, you know, there, there are questions and there are questions Mm -hmm. Hmm. and you have to look at the context to to determine what sort of question it is. And we, uh, we sort of together came up with a list of 
um, attitudes that could then generate questions. Right. And of course, some of those are positive and some of those are negative. So, um, so what do you see in the context here that might, or like surrounding that quote, truth, what is truth? Like what's there that might give us some insight into the attitude from which or, or with which Pilate is uh, like asked that question? I mean, based on the tone that we, we both kind of, I guess, inferred from this, it, it almost sounds like, you know, either he has some sort of in, inner conflict or maybe, you know, maybe he's been uh, present during some of the philosophical discussions that have gone on. And, uh, you know, he's just not sure himself anymore, or maybe he's in a place where he doesn't think he can, uh, state that there is a truth because so many people have, have called the truth into question, you know, I mean, it definitely sounds yeah. almost like a, a, a statement of frustration, maybe. Sure. Yeah. I yeah. Mean, I, I definitely I, see that. I mean, it's like, particularly as a politician, right? Like, like mm -hmm. you could kind of see where he'd be like, I mean, truth, what's truth? Truth can be whatever I need truth to be to, to justify what I'm doing, you know? Yeah. I, I don't know. Do you, do you ever get to get in a, get in a, I've been in a situation where you just wish somebody would not bother you with a particular problem. Well, it's funny, as you were saying this about the nature of questions, um, just this week, I've had a number of sit downs because uh, I've started my new job. And one of the things I do when I sit down with uh, a leader that I'm going to work for is kind of, I go through a number of things. And one of the last things I tell him is like, tell him is like, here's some things about me. And so one of my pet peeves is asking questions. Now on the surface, that seems unreasonable, but it's a certain way that people ask questions. that really annoys me, uh, particularly uh, my officer brethren. And so you know, I tell them, like, if you have a question about something, like you want to know something, absolutely ask. I don't want you to not know. I said, but you officers have a way of asking questions that you, you do it in such a way that it makes me feel like you think I don't know how to do my job. And so it'll usually yeah. be something like, so tell me why you put the ambush line where you put it, you know, and it's like, look, <laughs> just tell me you think I put it in a dumb spot. You know, I always equate it to, uh, you know, you have to tell me if, if Misty does this, but my wife, Jessica, she'll always go, <laughs> she'll do this, right? You're laying in bed. She's like, are you hot? I'm like, no, I'm, I'm not hot. I'm like, you know, a couple minutes goes by. I'm sweating. Are you sweating? I'm like, no, I'm, I'm quite, quite comfortable. I'm like, you know, a couple minutes later past, like, you're not even a little warm. And it's like, what do you want? Can you go turn the fan on? Yes. That's all you had to say, you know? <laughs> Yeah, yeah, exactly. And so, uh, you know, I think it, it, it really is like the way people ask a question can really, I mean, in itself have have meaning, you know, and and, and suggest things. I don't know. Yeah, if that helps. yeah, yeah. A, a question. It's interesting how a question can can be a statement. Right. I mean, obviously, like like an implied statement. But kind of like uh, I, I, you ever watch Parks and Rec where Ron goes into that uh, hearing and he decides he's going to every ask, oh, answer, every, best. answer every one of their questions with a question. <laughs> yeah, man, I wish you could splice in that would be great. a couple of clips from that, like in post-production. Maybe I could do that. <laughs> I mean, I know I know you've started your new job and you really don't have time for that. Yeah. 
but man, like that would be a, a next level podcast feature. It, it really would. That's such a great scene. Yeah, it is. Do you think so? <laughs> yeah. Would I have been there <laughs> if I'd thought that? <laughs> Which that's actually something that the Jews say directly to Pilate. And, and I, I, I just got to think that Pilate is so annoyed because yeah. they say that they say to him, um, uh, let's see, if he were not a criminal, we wouldn't have handed him over to you. Right. Like, you, you know, know, like you, that's you, you could put it into a form of crush, a question like, would we have handed him over to you if he wasn't a criminal? You know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And I think probably in some translations, it that it, it might come across, you know, in the interrogative instead of in the declarative. So, like the the expletives, I think does. Oh, here comes uh, here comes another car. All right, let's see. Is there it'll be a stop? Nope. Okay, I definitely heard that one. Nope. Okay, they, they were flying. Well, huh? There was. Yeah, it was a little bit more speed. It was actually Robert Hyde. <laughs> He's got a lead foot, huh? Yeah, it turns out. He's pushing <laughs> that Toyota five-speed for all it's worth. <laughs> I, I wonder if he's going to like drift down at the end of the driveway on the gravel. Anyway, um, no, he, he, he's one of the, the great people that we have up here this week, and uh, it's, it's going really well. But back, back to the Jewish leaders, it, it really seems like because of the exchange that, that, that they have with Pilate that he probably wouldn't have been in the best mood. Mm-hmm. And we, we know from another account, I don't remember if it, maybe it's Luke, that Pilate's wife had actually had a dream and had warned him to not do anything to Jesus. Yeah. Hmm. So he, he's, he's got the Jews on one side. He's yeah. got probably Roman bosses on the other. And then he's got his wife, you know, with freak out dreams going on. He just doesn't want to deal with this. Yeah. He, like I could see where he's, he's in a no win situation. Right. And so like truth, what's truth. Yeah. And, you know, probably since he's in the position that he's in, he's, He's very educated. I'm, I'm assuming that he's, you know, educated in, in, in Greek philosophy where they deal with those questions, you know, like foundational epistemological questions. Yeah. But then he's caught in this, you know, outpost on the, in, in the far reaches of the empire. It's yeah. probably not where he wants to be in the first place. Mm-hmm. And he's just stuck. Well, you know, if you think it's about like, it, okay, like, if you think truth, about it, if you think about it too, like he, uh, this really could be an example of just the loneliness of being at the top. Cause like you said, and again, think about this as a modern day, you know, military leader, right? Uh, this guy, like he just has to make decisions. I mean, you even think about, mm-hmm. you know, I was reading a book about this, the revolution and the goings on in Boston, let's say, you know, and when you read it, just like when you read the Bible, um, from this sentence to this sentence, the message arrives from England to the new world. But in reality, that took months, you know? And so oh, yeah. these leaders in these remote outstations just had to make decisions. And so, uh, yeah. 
and like you said, there's so many influences. There's this desire to, to, to maintain the peace and let these people kind of rule themselves. <clears throat> but at the same time, and again, I've mentioned this before, when we get into Acts, we see where uh, it's not the Jews, but, but, but Paul's Romanness that saves, saves him on several occasions from dying. Uh, and so, mm-hmm. um, and so it's just definitely the, these interesting cultural and political dynamics where, like you said, He's kind of getting pulled in every which direction, and he knows whatever decision he makes isn't going to be popular with somebody. And so yeah. I guess my point is this, and this is something I've been thinking about, and I can't remember the passage where I saw it, but I was thinking about a sermon I might try to do. And it's also based on something I've heard of. Have you heard of uh, Vodi Bakum? He's a uh, – uh, Yeah, so I- I've been seeing his name all over the place, but I haven't actually looked into any of his stuff. Yeah, he's he's really my good. brother actually mentioned him today. Yeah. So he he had a talk one time I was listening to and he was talking about how we need to be praying for our leaders. And uh, there's a really good passage. I have it written down somewhere. I'd have to find it where, where it talks about that. Uh, but his whole thing is like, look. The government, you know, is not the enemy. It's the mission field. And I thought that was kind of an interesting mm-hmm. thing to think about how. Yeah. Um, and so. You know, you, you think about Paul later, like he wants to go to Rome to declare Jesus before Caesar, you know, and uh, I don't know, I guess like here we have Pilate, this very powerful person standing in front of the son of God. And just as much as anybody else, he needs Jesus uh, and, and perhaps yeah. doesn't even realize it, you know. Oh, well, yeah, yeah, he, he definitely needs Jesus. And so, you know, on, in keeping with the idea of, you know, all of the different attitudes with which one might ask questions, you know, you have some that are positive, some that are negative. And then you, you kind of have some that are that are in the middle where so like this, this question is, is not really an honest question, Mm-mm. but it's also not a nefarious question. Yeah. Be- so it seems like the, the priority here is. Um, like frustration due to the constraints of political expediency, something right. like that. Yeah. But you, you can, you can take that same question that he asked and, and absolutely ask it in a, in a faithful way. Yeah. You know, um, you know, like whoever asks, uh, or he who seeks finds, he who asks receives an answer, you know, you knock doors opened. Mm-hmm. And so that there is the the questioning of truth in that manner that is constructive. Right. But then you could ask the exact same question, you know, truth, what's truth, not mm-hmm. simply in a, in a frustrated way, but in a way that's actually intended to deconstruct. Right. We certainly see and, that now the nowadays. <clears throat> yeah. So that, that's, that's one of the directions that, that, that I've also gone um this week so um you want to say a few words about deconstruction and what your understanding of it is Mm. okay um man yeah i guess where where do you go from this i know as far as deconstruction goes i mean there there's deconstruction well we'll we'll just talk about the church right And, and and uh okay like or just like you know like the, like the, the, the modern well the postmodern construct or um, cognitive process that's labeled deconstruction 
So I mentioned this before, like when, as it pertains to truth, you know, one of the views, and I don't know if this is like comes from Foucault or who, which one it comes from, but one of these deconstructionists, one of these critical uh, theory folks, um, the idea is that um, there is no absolute truth. We all have our, you know, individual truths. And um, I guess those with hegemony use their truth to oppress others. That sound right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, and and something I, I think I want to add to that is um, the the whole postmodern deconstruction thing holds that since there's an infinite number of ways to interpret a story, let's say, yeah, and therefore to interpret uh, history, uh, phenomena, you know, things that um, unfold in the world, there, mm -hmm. there there's an infinite number of ways they say to interpret those things. Therefore, any one interpretation should not be privileged over any other. Yeah. And so the okay. process of deconstruction is tearing down whatever um, conceptual framework mm -hmm. that has led to the privileging of one narrative or interpretation over another. Right. Well, and so when it comes to the church and deconstruction, I think this is one of those things where <clears throat> Christianity is viewed as an extension of white <clears throat> supremacy and white just whiteness. And so there is definitely a movement to deconstruct uh, what a lot of apologists are now just referring to as historical Christianity. Uh, I, and I mean, I think that's a, mm -hmm. that's, an, that's an appropriate term and replace it with this progressive Christianity where, which uh, very much aligns with the uh, passage. in I think, well, what did I read Sunday? Was it first Peter or first John where it talks about, you know, what our itching ears want to hear. And so, um, you know, it's often described as, mm -hmm. I think that's first Peter. Yeah. So, so we, uh, these deconstruction therapists effectively create doubt by, and the analogy I've heard several times now is they grab a hold of the string and begin to pull and the whole sweater unravels. And typically, yeah. um, a lot of the things they're, they're saying are based in truth, but they're not the truth. And so, um, man, I was listening to something this week. I'm still, I'm still working my way through Alyssa Childers book, um, another gospel. And it's really interesting because she talks about something that I hadn't thought about before. And so you'll hear, hear people talk about the harmony of the gospels. And this is, this is almost taking another approach to that term, but, uh, people talk about different like inconsistencies amongst the gospels. And, uh, she references another book. It's called cold case Christianity. And this is a guy who was a detective who was an atheist and he set out to disprove that there was a God uh -huh. and using uh, and in, in his as a layperson or in his civilian job, he's a detective like he, he cracks cold cases. And so he's using that skill to investigate uh, Jesus, essentially, and ends up becoming a Christian because of what the evidence points to. And one of the things that she was discussing. Yeah, is, there have been a lot of stories like that. Right. John Clayton's another one. He's the one that wrote The Source. Yeah, uh, that's a book I read before yeah. that has to do with, uh, you know, evolution and all that. And so in this book, I forget the gentleman's name, but, you know, he talks about how people will point. So people will point to these uh, inconsistencies in the gospel or different accounts. One of the ones they talk about is the number of donkeys that when Jesus uh, comes into Jerusalem and how we ha we see two in Matthew and then it's one in all the other gospels. And I think John is like doesn't even really say much about it. It's just understood the other gospels have covered it. And uh and so, you know, people will take issue with the fact that these accounts aren't all the same. 
And his point was that this is like, as a detective, one time he showed up on a case and all four, uh, all four witnesses were sitting in a police car together. And that almost ruined the case because typically if you don't, if, if, they, if, if the witnesses are together, they're going to tend to harmonize their story and you're not yeah. going to get the details that you would get if you, if you segregate them properly. In fact, as I'm listening to this, what it made me think of is, uh, in the army, we have, you know, the, the five S's of, of managing an, an enemy prisoner of war, right? It's search, silence, segregate, safeguard, and then speed to the rear. And so one of those is segregate. The reason you want to segregate these enemy prisoners is because you want to question them individually. You don't want to have them a chance. Yeah, to exactly. Them a chance to get, get their story straight. That's interrogation and, 101. Correct. And so the idea behind that is people with different life experiences are going to notice certain details that other people don't notice and that's yeah, what this detective yeah. is saying and that is that is evidence for the bible being true not not the inverse but yeah other people will take that truth and go the other way with it and, and again deconstruct the faith remarks complete <laughs> oh did you just freeze oh no Come on, Justin, come back. Come back. Can you hear me? Okay, I can hear you now. Oh, you're moving again. Yeah, okay. I, I, I could hear you that whole time. So um, Good. hopefully, yeah. So tell you what, if, if I seem to freeze, just keep talking. <laughs> I think I can do that. Okay, all right. Okay, so um, the next uh, verse that I'd like to take a look at is John 10.10. 10. So I want to, I want to look at the. Well, I, I guess the the big idea here is that there. Oh, there's a horsefly. There's a horsefly on my windshield. Got him. Oh, I didn't got him. Okay, there he went. All right, horseflies are mean dudes. Like I don't mess around with horseflies. They bite our horses. Man, you're really roughing it out there. Yeah. No, I mean, that's the first horsefly I've seen. If I were back home, I mean, it's like horsefly season right now, and we'd be getting chased down. Anyway, um, so, you know, there's nothing new under the sun, like it says in Ecclesiastes. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting that, that, that the deconstructionists fancy themselves to be on the cutting edge of societal evolution, mm -hmm. so to speak. Right. When this is a very, very old idea. Yeah. And so that that's what I want to <clears throat> trace back. So we've started here in John with with Pilate where, you know, the, the question that he asked, the question itself is, is, you know, kind of neutral. It can go multiple ways. But we recognize that, that it can, you know, the, the truth, what is truth that can be used to deconstruct because, I mean, let's face it, that is the basic uh, assertion of right. the deconstructionist mm -hmm. truth. What is truth? Well, like, well, there isn't any, like yeah. there, there, there is not truth because there, if there's an infinite number of interpretations yeah. of what goes on, then there is no one understanding. You're and if there is no one understanding, then there's nothing transcendent. There is no truth. Right. Your, your lived experience is your truth. <laughs> Right, right, but but it but it can't be, 
Um, but, but, but that really mocks and deconstructs the, the whole concept of truth mm-hmm. because the, the traditional understanding of it is that it's transcendent. Yeah. And it's not, the, it's not the same as mutable fact. Mm-hmm. And when I say mutable fact, I mean, right now I'm sitting in a Chevy Suburban in Indiana beside a gravel driveway. Mm-hmm. It's, a, it's a fact, but it's mutable. Like it's very easily changeable. Like this isn't going to last more than, you know, several dozen minutes. Mm-hmm. Right. There's nothing transcendent about this. Yeah. Uh, because to, to speak of the transcendent is to speak of that which um, holds always and everywhere. Okay. Okay. So John 10, 10, you, you mind reading that one too? Yep. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. So um, who, who you reckon he's talking about with the thief there? Uh, who the comes devil? to kill, steal and destroy. Yeah. Yes. Kill, steal and destroy. Nailed it. Hmm. Hmm. Kill, steal, and destroy. Mm. Deconstruct. Right. The whole concept of deconstruction is in keeping with Satan's MO, mm-hmm. yeah. which is a game that's as old as go- the Garden of Eden. Right. So, with well, that, I mean, go ahead. I, were you going to go back to the Garden of Eden on this one, Justin? Okay, we're, we're going to in just a second. I, but, okay, but, but you can go ahead. I feel that's like a natural transition. Like, wasn't that his whole his whole point? Right. Like, you will not surely yeah. die. Exactly. That's that. That's that's precisely precisely where we're going. Hmm. Maybe, maybe it's just too obvious. <laughs> you know, and like you know, maybe maybe for for, for us it is obvious because like. You're around me, and I, I always take it back to Genesis because I, I love Genesis. Mm-hmm. But th- there's a reason I love Genesis. Mm-hmm. It's like I like getting down to the to the root of things, you know, getting down to the the foundation, and you know, really see what's going on. Yeah. Um. So Genesis three. And so uh, I'll read verses uh, one through probably one through nine. And uh, like what I want us to pay attention to, especially in these few verses um, are, are the questions. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but, but God did say you must not eat from the tree, fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. You will not surely die, the serpent said to the woman. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Mm. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. 
She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he walked, as he was walking in the cool of the garden and in the garden, in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, where are you? Uh, I'm going to read a couple more. He answered, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked. So I hid. And God said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? All right. Hmm. So we've got, we've got three questions there. We've got one from the serpent and two from the Lord. Mm -hmm. We've got, did God really say, I mean, so that's the very first recorded question in the whole Bible. And uh, like the claims here is certainly that this is the first question. Mm-hmm. So what's, what, what's he trying to do here? Or what, what was Satan trying, trying to do? And, and, and I don't, I don't mean like, well, he's trying to get her to eat the apple or yeah. the fruit, whatever. Well, okay. Yeah. But like, like, like what, what's the technique here? What's, yeah, I, what's the strategy? I think he's, he's trying to create doubt. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. He's deconstructing. Mm-hmm. Like that's exactly what he's doing. Yeah. Like Eve thinks she knows something. And as long as she continues to think that she knows that thing, which she really does know, Right. She's going to keep on being obedient to the Lord. Like she, she's going to be under his authority and submission to him and perfectly happy about it. Yeah. We, you know, the, the other thing that's interesting too is, uh, you know, when we were talking about Gnosticism and one of the aspects of that was yes. being yes. Pri- privy to special knowledge. Right. Mm-hmm. And yes. so we see where it's also desirable for gaining wisdom. Uh, Mm -hmm. you know, that's part of what appealed to it for her. And, uh, yes, you know, it's almost that the elitism of being in the know, you know? Yeah. So he, he's using this question to simultaneously deconstruct and, and to introduce doubt and not just to introduce doubt, but to introduce fake possible, I mean, false possibilities. Mm Mm-hmm. Right. You know, which I, I guess, I guess that, that is what doubt does. Yeah. You know, you think, you know, a, but then when you have the introduction of B simply by having a and B beside each other and, and, and they're, and they're seemingly, uh, and they're seeming to be a- incompatible. I mean, there, there, there's doubt typically, I mean, like that's, that's really how it happens. Period. Right. You know, you think you want something, you see something else and you're like, well, you know, I don't know. <clears throat> so, I, um, so yeah, the, the, the question here is, is to deconstruct. Like I, I really want for, for us 
and for our families, for our community, I mean, our, our church, and for anybody who um, is, is listening to this, to, to recognize that the problems that we're seeing in our society, in our churches, in our communities, they are as old as the garden. Yeah. And because of that, if the problems that we're seeing are as old as the garden, it means that the scriptures are very clearly helpful to us. Mm-hmm. I mean, because really all of the rest of the scriptures after this and all of human history are, are dealing with the fallout yeah. of Satan's deconstructing of Eve. Hmm. And of course, like I'm not totally throwing Eve under the bus. I mean, Adam, I mean, it says right there in black and white that Adam was there with her. Yeah. And uh, maybe we can do a podcast at some point, an episode on what Adam should have done. Yeah. And it's, it's a little bit more than just not eat the fruit, mm-hmm. but I'm not going to go into that right now. <clears throat> so that's Satan's question. Let, let's look at, at God's two questions. Um, for, and and I'm, I'm not going to, uh, to, to state the whole question. I'm just going to kind of pull the, uh, like, the, like the core part of it. Okay. Where are you? So, I mean, obviously God knew where Adam was. Mm-hmm. So what's he doing with that question? Uh, I would say maybe testing him. Like, am I going to get the truth from him? Okay. So he's giving him an opportunity to tell the truth. Yeah. Is that good or bad to give Adam an opportunity to tell the truth? Uh, looks like it turned out to be bad, you know? Well, I, I guess, no, I would say, yes, it is good to give him an opportunity to tell the truth. I mean, yeah, if, yeah. if I mean, obviously God knows where he is, uh, could probably easily find him. I guess what I'm saying is you could, he, he could like give him a pass cause he knows where he is, but he's giving him an opportunity to be truthful. I think that's probably a good thing. Right. Yeah. So I'll, I'll come back to that in a second. So the, the second question, you know, so, so Adam pipes up, you know, stands up, answers, uh, and declares, well, you know, we, we were naked and we hid. And then God said, and, and I, this is, this is such a, a great question. Who told you that? Mm-hmm. So what, what's, what's he doing? Obviously again, God knows. Yeah. It's, it's almost so, like you could, you could use, you could insert the same tone there that Satan used with them. Like who told you you were naked? Right. And, and yet, you know, the, uh, or maybe not. I don't know. Well, the, the, well, I, yeah, but the, the intent is, is different. Mm-hmm. Satan was deconstructing, but like I would say that what God is doing with these questions is constructing. Mm. Yeah, it's like okay, we have a problem here. Let's get to the bottom of the problem and do something about it. Yeah. Okay, like we're gonna move on from this. And I'm not done with these people. 
Yeah. And okay. Like some things are going to happen that they're not going to like, and that I'm not going to like either, but we're, we're going to deal with Adam and Eve and we're going to deal with the serpent. Mm -hmm. So like, I like, I would say that that's a good thing to think about. Like you have deacons, like questions that are asked with deconstructing intent and you have questions asked with constructive. So do you think, we, you know, as I'm looking at these, um, this may not be exactly correct, <clears throat> um, but for the most part, you know, Satan's question was more open-ended, like he's trying to get them to think and, <clears throat> you know, doubt where God's questions are more closed-ended, like it's almost an interrogation. Where are you? Yeah. Who, who said that? Yeah. Did you eat from the tree? You know? Yeah. Um, yeah. And so, like you said, that's more of a, when you think about, um, okay, going back to, again, I'm not a lawyer. <laughs> I just played one for a mock trial. <laughs> I didn't even play one. <laughs> but, you know, yeah. when you're, when you're uh, doing your, your direct questioning of like a, your witness, you're supposed to use op uh, open-ended questions, right? Because you want them to tell a story. Okay. Give them, give them room to talk. Whereas when you're doing a cross-examination, it's an interrogation. Uh, you don't, you, you, it's all loaded questions, frankly, you know, because you want short answers. We're just trying to get the information. And so it's almost the same. I don't know. I, I think it's, it's kind of similar here where, like you said, I'm, I'm not here to hear, to hear a story. I want to know what, what happened and who told you that, you know? Right. But, but again, like, like it's this opportunity to tell the truth yeah. because, okay. So deconstructing is predicated on lies. Right. But co constructing that which is constructive is predicated on the truth. Like God in his questioning, I mean, even if it's, you know, interrogative in its in its nature, it's getting I mean, God already knows, but he's getting him to actually with his own mouth physically utter mm -hmm. true things. Yeah. It's like if there's any way forward, it starts with truth. Right. So any, any other thoughts about that? Mm, no, I don't think so. I think I've okay. said my piece. So, uh, yeah, I've got another car coming by. Far busier than I expected. Sound like they're moving too. Uh, it was uh, the aforementioned Brother Hyde. <laughs> He's back. Just, just tearing around Indiana, huh? Yeah. Yep. T tearing it up. Okay. Um, <clears throat> let's see. So some, some other things, I, like, I just want to tell you about some of the things that, uh, that, that the kids have kind of come up with for um, idea or uh, attitudes that could be behind mm -hmm. uh, questions. Okay. So like, like I, I threw out the, you know, constructing and deconstructing thing, but some other possibilities are, you know, inquisitiveness, mm -hmm. which would, that, that would fall under, you know, that, which is constructive. Right. Cause like, if you don't know something, you, you've got to ask 
you've got to ask questions. Yeah. And so like, like we can look at some places where um, the disciples did that. And that, that's one of the things that really set the disciples apart from um, the people who would sort of come to see what Jesus was doing and maybe get a free meal, mm-hmm. but then leave is that um, Jesus' disciples, when they didn't understand a parable, they'd ask him about it later. Mm-hmm. And Jesus would give straight answers. Yeah. Yeah. So there, there's inquisitiveness. There, there, there's faithful questioning where, you know, you're asking a question to someone. And, and this happened between the disciples and, and, and Jesus a lot. They trust him, but they just don't understand something. Yeah. So something, what, what that kind of reminds me of, I, I heard this, I think maybe last week, I don't remember the context, but I'd never really considered this before. And I've said this to you before. It's like, you know, I've used certain words for years and never really considered the, the root. Okay. Although yeah. this word, it, this word is the root. And so I was listening to somebody and he was saying like, when you think about the word question, the root there is quest. And what's yeah, quest? yeah, 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 exactly. Like when you go on a quest, you th- that's that's truth seeking. Like you're trying to go out and find yes. answers. And I'd never yes. thought of that before. But in reality, when you think about that, like the idea of a quest, like that's a noble thing. You know, I'm going out to seek answers. Maybe maybe you've been sent on this quest by your, I always think of that old video game King's Quest. You ever play that one? No. Uh, no. OK, it was <laughs> it's funny. My dad had it. So I was always disgruntled because we only had a computer. We never had like a, a game system. And so yeah. we had a computer and we had King's Quest on there. And uh, did you have Wolfenstein? We did have Castle Wolfenstein. Yeah. Oh, man. I didn't realize anyway, I didn't really. To... Yeah, I didn't realize the cult following those games had. But anyway, so I was, I was thinking about that idea of King's Quest. Like if a king sends you out on a quest. um, I always just thought it was like a mission. But if, if, if you think about that wording, you're 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 on a well, you're on a mission to find answers. You know, perhaps in this case, it's for the king. You're going out on the king's behalf. Yeah. Uh, where otherwise, you know, you're seeking your own answers, but it's it's truth seeking. So it's inquiry kind of like uh, the kids are talking about, which, yes. like, like you said, I think is a noble uh, use of questioning. Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Questioning is a powerful thing. It's a powerful tool. And so we shouldn't be surprised that it has you know, that it can build up or that it can tear down. Well, you know, and tell me if this, this reminds you of this at all too, but you know, I mentioned at the sermon Sunday that the number one thing of the top five issues, reasons kids are leaving the church is that they're not getting the answers to hard questions. And so, um, you know, like, again, I, I don't know that I've ever experienced this, but you hear about people who they question things in church and they're basically told that, uh, they're being sinful for asking questions. So I've never experienced that, but apparently that's yeah, a, I, I, I haven't either. Apparently that's a thing. Um, I, I, I can believe it. Like, even though I haven't experienced it, you know, I, I can believe that there, that, I mean, that such a thing exists. Right. And I, I think we should absolutely be celebrating kids that if kids are, are like wanting to know why things are the way they are, why do we believe what we believe? Oh in? yeah. And yeah, so for sure. Be, and so what I'm getting at is, you know, I know you've mentioned this before I have as well, but like uh, Jordan Peterson talks about the idea of uh, he tries to behave as though God exists. And, 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 and yes, so he, yeah. he, he relates that to uh, 
uh, Jacob and the idea of wrestling with God, right? Because that's what Israel means. Yeah. And so, I mean, I think if you wrestle with whether or not there is a, is a God, you're going to have questions. Mm-hmm. And that is a noble form of inquiry where you, you just you're seeking the truth, you know? Mm-hmm. And so, uh, yeah, I don't know. I concur. Inquiry. Good. <laughs> Inquis- inquisitive <laughs> inquisitiveness. Good. Yeah. So th- there, there are so many examples of this. And I mean, especially in, in the Gospels, you know, like the, 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 there, there was a book. I, I don't know if I read this, a devotional book that came out a few years back called Living the Questions in John. Mm-hmm. And I'm not sure I, I still have it. I think I picked it up at Goodwill because it looked like a, an interesting thing. I mean, it's like, you know, one of those devotional like Bible study. I mean, like, you know, like a packaged Bible study type of right. thing. Yeah. And I think it was probably pretty good. Um, but I, I don't remember looking at it. I, I really just like took away, you know, like that title, like, Hey, there, there, there are a lot of questions that come up in John. Mm-hmm. And so it, it could be beneficial to look at the book through that, through that lens. Okay. Um, so speaking of John and, and questions in John, we can turn over to uh, John chapter six. <laughs> oh man so something that's interesting here is that in in the same chapter and really on like two ends of the same story we have you know a question asked from a place of faith and then later a question asked from a place of of doubt e- even even like maybe flippancy oh yeah and, and i was saying uh things that things that kids had said uh, other like attitudes that can produce question uh, like a certain kind of question um would be like mockery Mm. a a mocking question yeah or like an apathetic question Mm -hmm. you know like who cares yeah or other uh, like other other arrangements of words that are intended to communicate the same thing you know because the question who cares actually isn't a question at all it's a statement i don't care yeah that's smart and thought about that yeah so uh, we're going to read a, a pretty decent chunk of John chapter six, though not all 71 verses. Okay. <clears throat> um, I, I'm going to pick up in, uh, in, in verse five of, of chapter six. So uh, the, the first few verses just tell where Jesus is and kind of the, uh, the time of year. So he's at the Sea of Galilee. And uh, the, it was it was near to the time of the Passover, so you know we're talking, you know, f- February, March, maybe early April. Hmm. <clears throat> Excuse me, according to our calendar. And you know, you, you know, you you remember there there are all these people there. In verse five, when Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip. Where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? He asked this only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. So that, that that's really fascinating there. And let me uh, let me get you to pause right there because I just had the screen sure. go bla- black. All right. I was really hoping not to have to fix anything in post, but. Looks like that's going to happen. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Sorry about that. All right. Where were we? 
Uh, we were in John 6, verse 5. Okay. When Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? He asked this only to test him, for he already had in mind what he is going, what he was going to do. So what, what do you think of that? Yeah, that's interesting. Like, what, what does that say about Jesus? Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, I, I feel like as parents, you know, I mean, this is almost like maybe, well, I don't know. Is that really Socratic method? Maybe not. Isn't Socratic method like you just keep asking questions? But it, it, I guess maybe the same thing, right? Where you, you're trying to you're trying to see where their heads at, what they're thinking, try to get them to answer the question themselves by asking them questions. Yeah, yeah. You know. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So th there, there's this hymn that that we sang this week, and, and I'd really like to to do it at church. It's called uh, "I Will Rise," or "I Will Rise," or "I Will Arise and Go to Jesus." Mm -hmm. It's number six twenty nine in the in the blue book. And uh, it's, it's got that uh, come ye sinners, poor and needy mm -hmm. bit in it that shows up in a couple of other hymns. Yeah. But th the last verse of it is, uh, all, it says all the fitness he's requiring is to feel your need for him. Mm -hmm. And so it, it, it seems like what Jesus is doing here. I mean, so, so yeah, he, he's testing him. But he's, he's asking him this question that will force him to deal with the logistics of this problem to recognize that there's nothing he can do about it. Yeah. Hmm. And it reminds me somewhat of, you, you, you're, you're, I don't know if you'll, you'll love this or hate this, Romans 12, back in two? Genesis. Oh, okay. <laughs> back in Genesis. <laughs> no, it reminds me of back in Genesis when... Apparently, before God formed Eve, he brought the animals to Adam to name. Mm -hmm. And he brought them two by two. I mean, like, you know, male and female. Right. So he paraded in front of them, you know, male and female dog, male and female lion, male and female tiger, male and female elephant, male and female mouse. You know, like for all, all these, these animals, you know, just gobs and gobs and gobs of animals. He's seen male and female, male and female. And so it seems like he was doing that to indicate to Adam his, his incompleteness. Mm -hmm. So, so God made him okay. aware of a need that yeah. God intended himself to fulfill. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the case, not because it's, it says that directly, but then when, uh, when Adam finally sees Eve, he says, at last, this is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. Mm -hmm. so, so it was like, he clearly expresses relief. And so if he clearly expresses relief, you, you've got to ask, well, you know, why would he be relieved by this? And so you see, well, okay, like if he's been seeing male, female, male, female, and they go together, they fit. Mm -hmm. Well, okay. Then, then he got to see his, his other, his other half or like his, his counterpart. 
And so here, uh, so testing, I know kind of has a little bit of a negative connotation, but it's like, he's, he's leading Philip into realizing this level of hopelessness, humanly speaking to the, you know, logistical situation that they've got going. Well, so what I, what I was thinking of, and again, I'm still trying to put this together. So maybe, maybe together we can make my point. But it reminds me of Romans 12, 2. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. And so uh, if you think about that, like you said, the hopelessness of the situation logistically, if he tries to answer that problem in any way that would, would be in line with the pattern of the world, like you said, it's, it's, it's overwhelming. Yeah. So Jesus is, is about to transform uh, his understanding of how to how to deal with that. And I don't know. I just always yeah. thought this thought this this wording was interesting. The idea of testing and approving what God's will is, which because again, if we think about testing, right? Like I guess I'm going to scientific method. I mean, that all starts with a question, right? Absolutely. Yeah. And so. Yeah. Um, well, and, and I, even I guess the, this this the idea of. Right. Like the idea, the idea of inquiry, helping you, uh, helping reveal God's truth. Like, I think that's extremely biblical, right? Yeah. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Mm -hmm. You know, th there's some inquisitiveness there, right? Uh, you know, it like embedded into that, that idea. So, so here back in the story there, then there's uh, very quickly a question. So Philip answered him, eight months wages would not buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. Another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. Uh, Here's a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish, but how far will they go among so many? Mm. So that, you know, that's another question, but, but that's, that's also a fascinating question right. because it's not like he's saying this is impossible. Mm-hmm. Like, like they're, they're simply noting the logistical difficulties. Yeah. But, but they're, it doesn't seem like they're, they're exactly despairing though. though I mean, I know that they don't have any sense of what Jesus is about to do. Mm -hmm. um, how far will they go among so many? Well, Jesus is about to show them how right. far that can go among so many by the power of of his father mm -hmm. <clears throat> so i mean i think that it you've probably been in situations where maybe supplies have been um not as plentiful as one might hope yeah and i, I would imagine that morale can deteriorate quickly mm-hmm and I, I, I think that, that, that we need to, to recognize that, that the disciples, I, I think that they, that they had, I mean, maybe it just, maybe if it would have gone on longer, we would have seen that, that drop in morale, but Jesus doesn't let it get to that. You know, we, we don't have a, a mutiny mm -hmm. going on. And so, you know, there's, there's faith there. And may, maybe you could say that it's really not being tested that hard yet, mm -hmm. but I mean, like, these guys are on the spot and, and they're kind of scrambling 
And then Jesus says to them, have the people sit down. Mm. So he, he gives them something to do. If the people are sitting down, there, there's a calming that's, that's going on. Um, but I, I think that it, it's right to, to understand that their questions here are maybe not quite faithful, but they are inquisitive rather than, than mocking or despairing. Right. Do you think, I mean, do we really think they had no indication of what he was capable of at this point? I, this I think that, I think that this miracle, um, I mean, you know, it comes uh, pretty early on in John, of course, you know, Jesus's first miracle was the, the water into wine. Right. Which, but I don't, I don't, I don't see any indication that they're expecting <clears throat> or have any frame of reference for what he's about to do. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that this is the biggest miracle up to date. Yeah, I would agree. And it, it, it's so big. In fact, uh, just for the sake of time, I'll, uh, I'll kind of gloss over some of the uh, in the middle stuff of, you know, the whole thing happens. We know the story, 12 basket full, baskets full left over. Um, and then Jesus sends the people on across. I mean, the, uh, the disciples on across the lake. And Jesus walked out on water to them there in the night. The, the storm goes away. They get to the other side, and then then the next day, uh, let's see, how about you pick up in verse 22 and, and read, read through uh, 25, 22 through 25. The next day, the crowd that had stayed on the opposite shore of the lake realized that only one boat had been there and that Jesus had not entered it with his disciples, but that they had gone away alone. Then some boats from Tiberias landed near the place where the people had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. Once the crowd realized that neither Jesus nor his disciples were there, they got into the boats and went to Capernaum in search of Jesus. When they found him on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? Okay, so so they went, they, they you know, they hightailed it to the other side looking for Jesus. Mm -hmm. But just like there are questions and there are questions, there's looking for Jesus and then there's looking for Jesus. Right. And just like the, the determining factor and, you know, how we should understand a question, you know, it, it's, it's intent. Same thing with looking for Jesus. It, it comes down to... <clears throat> intent and, and we're about to see some questions and some answers that that will help reveal what, what their intent is here yeah so their first one is hey when did you get here yeah so you see how that's like super casual and like super familiar mm -hmm. yeah so it, it's it's like they're 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 implying a level of familiarity and friendship that is not there right it's, they're cozying uh, up to him mm -hmm. and we're about to see why okay um <clears throat> man I, I'm, I'm losing my voice could you uh 
26 through man I'll, I'll, I'll just stop you at some point just start reading <laughs> i promise it won't be all the way through 70 Jesus answered, very truly, I tell you, you are looking for me, not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him, God the Father has placed his seal of approval. Then they asked him, what must we do to do the works God requires? Jesus okay, answered. Pause. Okay, pause. Pause a second. So we've got another question here. What must we what must we do to do the works that God requires? Like mm. that could be a really great question. Yeah. But like as we continue, like we're going to find out what the intent behind the question actually is. You know, so like that one that one plays a lot better on the surface than the first question that they asked. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yes, so, keep keep going. I, I have a note oh, here. Or go ahead. We have a yeah. note here too that says they missed the point that eternal life is Christ's gift, and we're thinking in terms of achieving it by pious works. I'm wondering if that's maybe we're going to see different intent though here. All right. Yeah. Uh, Jesus answered, "The work of God is this: to believe in the one He has sent." So they asked him, "What sign then will you give that we may see it and believe you? What will you do?" Our ancestors ate the man in the wilderness, as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus. Okay. Said pause. Pa yeah. Pause again. Mm -hmm. um, oh, low power mode. Um, let me know if I, if I start glitching because uh, like, I, I don't have a charger here. My, my phone has gone to like low power, Oh man! but I mean like I'm, I'm good. I'm good for a few more minutes. Okay. Clock's ticking. Yeah. 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 So we've got another question here. What miraculous sign then will you give that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? Hmm. Like, it's almost like they want to see a magic show or, or, or once again, it's like, what, what are you going to do? Maybe make more bread. That would be cool. Yeah. That, that's exactly what it is because they follow that up with. It's like, you know, yeah. <laughs> Our forefathers ate the man in the desert as it is written. You know, they're even quoting the Bible to Jesus. Right. To oh, try yeah. to manipulate him into making more bread happen. Mm -hmm. Like this is that who, whoever was, were the ringleaders here actually saying these words and giving voice to sort of the, the collective consciousness here, man, they, they were some bold ones. They're being, being kind of careless with Torah, I would say. Yeah, yeah, a bit, a bit. Um, but I mean, you know, what sign will you do? How about the sign from yesterday, geniuses? <laughs> exactly. Like, like how, how about that? Like, like what do, other sign do you need? Right. Like, where do you think that fish and bread came from? I, I, I don't know. Like a crowd of 5,000, maybe the people in the back don't really get it, but still. Well, I think the thing is, is that they did get it. Mm -hmm. which is why they tracked him down, which is why they're cozying it up to him, which right. is why they're quoting Torah to him about the manna in the desert. It's like, he's the goose that lays golden eggs. Like they don't, they absolutely. Don't, they don't get it. Right. And of course they end up killing the goose that laid the golden egg. Mm. Hmm. Okay. All right. Uh, 32. 30, 32. 
Yeah. Jesus said to them, very truly, I tell you, it was, it is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it is my father who gives you the true bread from heaven for the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, always give us this bread. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. But as I told you, you have seen me and I, and still you do not believe all those the father gives me will come to me and whoever comes to me, I will never drive away for I've come down from heaven, not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me that I shall lose none of all, none of all those he has given me, but raise them up the last day. For my father's will is that everyone who looks to the son and believes in him shall have eternal life. And I will raise them up at the last day. At okay, this, one more verse. At this, the Jews there began to grumble about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. All right. So, I mean, this continues and, and they do ask some more questions that, that we could dig into, but it's, it's like, really just a, a, a div- yeah. It's like, it's like they're like, oh, so no bread then? exactly yeah like that that's exactly it's exactly what it is mm-hmm. and, and we see that 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 many um many of the people who had followed him there left yeah and uh just one more thing that that, that i want to look at even though it's really fascinating the stuff that he says about his flesh being real food and his blood being real drink like that that's that's a whole other episode in itself but um i'm, I'm going to read a little bit in 60 and, and following um so so lots of people left and on hearing it uh oh, yeah who, who can accept it aware that his disciples were grumbling about this uh jesus said said to them does this offend you and, and so forth and so on uh 66 from this time many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him and then Jesus asked the 12, you don't want to leave too, do you? And then Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. Hmm. So it, it all, Interesting. all comes down to intent here. Yeah. For whatever reason, th- that crowd, you know, wasn't interested in too much other than, I mean, it's, it's like, you know, they would listen to a sermon if they got the potluck. Yeah. You know? Right. But the disciples, you know, the, the, the disciples shared in the potluck. They're like, okay, like Jesus, like, we don't have anyone else to go to. You have the words of eternal life. Peter didn't say. You, well, you're the one who can make the bread and the fish happen. Mm-hmm. Like they, they recognize that, that he was in touch with the father. He was speaking truth. Yeah. And that, I mean, it's not that they didn't need bread too. I mean, right. they were clearly concerned about the situation the day before, mm-hmm. but that wasn't the primary concern. Yeah. They put first things first and the people with, you know, after the bread put first things second. Mm. And got neither. And they got neither. Hmm. Because we actually know that the disciples who hung around with him, 
got to be there for another miraculous feeding later. Right. Hmm. That's interesting. Yeah. Well, you know, I'll tell you something else I noticed that's interesting too, is like you talk about no matter how things change, they always stay the same, right? Like everything under the sun. Yeah. Yeah. And, and we have a tendency to look back and maybe this is some chronological snobbery where if I was there and I got to see these things, like I, it, it would be easier to believe, but I mean, he even addresses that. But as I told you, you have seen me and still you do not believe. Yep. And so, yep. uh, I don't know. It's like, there's, there's just a real inability. The, the devil does a, uh, does a great job of just blinding some people to the truth. It would seem. Right. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And, and so let's think about how he does it. He does it the way that he's always done it mm. all the way back to the garden of Eden. It's through deconstruction. Mm-hmm. It's through tearing down what God has made and has called good. Well, and, and, and I guess in both these instances, it's an appeal to the flesh, particularly hunger, you know? Oh, sure. And, and, you know, of course, like, um, class classically, traditionally speaking, the, the belly is the seat of desire, right? It's not merely the, it's not merely the, you know, the developer of the physical appetite. It's this, um, symbol or maybe even more than symbol of all human desire. Yeah. You know, like they thought of the belly, like we think of the heart. Mm-hmm. And, and so, you know, the, the bit in Paul about talking about those whose God is their belly. Yeah. You know, and, uh, and, and that's, that's what the abolition of man is about. Like that whole first essay from CS Lewis. Yeah. Men without chest. Men without chest. You have to have the you have to have the, the, the mediating factor between the intellect, like the mind is the seat of the intellect and the belly is the seat of desire. And yeah. that's the chest, the middle, where um I, I guess you could call that the seat of logos. Because mm-hmm. logos is, is uh is a word that indicates mediation. Yeah. And like that's, that's where the Holy Spirit dwells mm. in, in the believer, mm-hmm. because it's the Holy Spirit who teaches us um, in, in all things and reminds us of what Jesus said. Mm-hmm. All right. Any final thoughts? Final thoughts. Yeah. Um. I mean, I guess I would just say our continued our continued pursuit of the truth, particular particularly, well, you know, maybe no no more so now than ever. Uh, but it does kind of seem like there's just a, maybe an air of urgency right now where we need to mm-hmm. seek out and speak truth uh, to to try to combat, you know, the evils in this world. Um, yeah. And I mean, I, I just don't know. I, I don't know that there's any other way to do it. Like we just have to, like I've said, the solution of pollution is dilution. We have to continue to, to seek truth and to profess truth um, just so that we can continue to spread the message of God and, and, and uh, combat the, what was that passage? The enemy, the evil one. And that was the one we read earlier. The one who robs um, and steals. Oh yeah. Yeah. John 10, 10. Yeah. Yeah. 
some something that that I forgot, and I'm not going to go much into it. But uh, I looked into the the Greek word for truth, um, and maybe maybe this would be another another episode to just talk about like what truth is. Yeah. So maybe this will just be a teaser for for a later episode. But there, there's a couple of words, and, and they come from this, the same thing. There's alethes and alethenos, or alethenos or alethinos. I don't. I'm not always right on the Greek pronunciation. But what's fascinating about about those words is that they are negations. They've yeah. got the they've got the a prefix. Yeah. You know, like atheist. Right. Without. And uh, or, or anaerobic. Right. You know, like like yep. anaerobic respiration. Yep, and in in, in, um, in medicine, like apneic is without breathing, <clears throat> anemia. Yeah, it, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's without anemia, or yeah. it's without emia, I guess. Right. Well, whatever, whatever that is. Emia's but, blood. So, oh, yeah, yeah. Of course, yep. right. Duh. And it would be hemia. Yeah. And the H is dropped. Right. Like yeah. hypo okay. hypovolemia is low blood volume, for example. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. So it's uh so a, a lathes and the lathes refers to uh like covered or hidden. Mm. So truth is that which is not hidden or can't be hidden mm. or can't be kept covered up. But again, I think that we're just going to have to hold on to that as a teaser because uh, my old yeah. my old battery is. <laughs> yeah, we better get you going. Starting to get low. I, I would be remiss though if I didn't say that. It reminds me of the you know this little light of mine, right? Hide it under a bushel? No, I'm gonna let my nope. light shine. Nope. Let my light shine. Yeah. And that yeah, that absolutely. light that light you could argue is truth, right? Well, of course it is. Yeah. Yeah. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not overcome it. Yep. All right. So pray now before your battery goes dead. Yeah. Yeah. Pray it up. All right. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time that we've had to come together to, to, to spend time in your word, God. And we just uh, are so uh, aware of the importance of truth. Um, God, we ask that you be with us and give us the strength to continue to seek truth and to spread truth and, and to be instruments of, of you in, in doing so, God. We thank you for... Um, this technology that enables us to still do this though we're apart. Uh, we ask that you, uh, I ask you to be with Justin and, and the, and the kids and give them a safe trip back, tra- safe trip back here. Thank you for Jesus. Help us to be more like him in his name. We pray. Amen. Amen.